0: About six years ago, in the city of St. Petersburg, Florida, a local news station reported of a phenomenon going on at the local Starbucks. They had a string of pay-it-forward events where one person goes, they order their drink, and then they said, oh, I'll pay for the person behind me. Well, then the next person comes, they get their drink, they pay for the person behind them. And this chain goes on for about a day and a half And they got to 457 people, without a break, paying for the person behind them. And then we come to 458. (laughs) And 458 was actually at home, watching the television as this story is breaking, and he decides he's going to go to Starbucks too. So he goes there on purpose. He orders two mocha frappuccinos. The barista says, "Uh, someone has paid for your drink. Would you like to pay for the people behind you? And he says, no, and drives off. Uh, Reporters tracked him down later and and he explained to them. He said, I was watching the story and I was seeing this social phenomenon that was starting to happen. And I said, it has to be stopped. And and he explained, all those people, they were not giving out of generosity, they were giving out of guilt, and I freed them, is what he said. And then he said, I got a six dollar frappuccino. What if the person in front of me had only gotten a two dollar coffee? It's not fair. So thank you, number four hundred and fifty-eight. Earlier this summer, I was challenged by someone to go out of my way to do acts of kindness, good deeds, intentional good deeds. And, and I took the challenge seriously and I, I played around with it some this summer. And now that I'm at the end of the summer, I can tell you that it was a complete waste of time, that it wasn't worth it, that 458 was right. that's my goal this morning, to convince you of the uselessness of good deeds. Just last week, I can give you an example. Just last week, I was uh, pulling together a care package for my husband, John. He was going away on a retreat, and I thought, oh, good deed. I can go to Meyer, and I got some pistachios and beef jerky and caffeinated beverages, and I put it all in a bag, and I gave it to him, and he said, thank you. Now that probably sounds like a fine response to you, but it wasn't what I wanted to hear. I don't know what I was looking for, but maybe a like maybe a hand to the heart, and prolonged eye contact, and a haiku of gratitude. You know, not much. <laughs> and I was so miffed. I mean, he said thank you, but this was a good deed I had done. Seems like it should get more than just a thank you. And as John drove off, I thought, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. Here, I'm doing my act of kindness and and then it occurred to me, oh, that wasn't an act of kindness. That was an act of resentment. So I've got 10 reasons why doing good deeds is a waste of time. I'm not gonna spend too much time on them, but number 10 is this. When you do good deeds, it's a breeding ground for resentment. I know for sure John would have said, look, I'll skip the pistachios if it means my wife will not resent me. It's tricky. Number nine, the ninth reason to not do good works is that it will cost you time and energy and money. And if there's three things people often say they don't have enough of, it's time and energy and money. Number eight, most people won't notice anyway. I mean, I got a thank you from John, but most people will not even notice what you're doing, it doesn't make a difference. Number seven, if you do good works, people will expect more good works out of you. I made a rookie mistake when I first started teaching. I brought donuts to my first day of class. I was very popular for that hour. Uh, People were thankful, I got the haikus of gratitude. And, but then the second day came. And you want to know what the first thing they said to me was? Where's the donuts? And I thought, I am never doing that again. Maybe, maybe the third or the fourth, but never the first day of class again. Number six, you never know when you might offend someone. It could be a good deed to you, but it might be patronizing to someone else. It's risky. Number five, there is absolutely no sense of justice or fairness. I had my own Starbucks experience last month. And I went through the line and the barista told me, I'm in my car, uh, she told me, the person in front of you actually recognized you and said she'd pay for your drink. It's probably one of you guys, thank you. But my first reaction was not one of gratitude, it was horror. Because I had a really big bill. Like I had gotten breakfast for a number of people and breakfast is expensive. Well, coffee's expensive there too. But breakfast, I had like a $30 bill. And, and the first thing that I, my mind did was I went, oh no, oh no, this, this poor person, they probably thought they were going to buy a $5 drink for me. And now they're stuck with a $30 bill. And, and then I thought, I, I want to track them down to let them know that that wasn't just for me, it was for other people too. <laughs> And then I realized, oh wait, this is, this is that good deed type thing. Someone just did that for me, I, I need to receive this. Okay, okay. My kids are in the car with me, they're probably thinking, what is mom doing? But I said to the barista, okay, thank you. Could I pay for the person behind me? And she said, yep, that'll be $9, which threw me into a tizzy again. <laughs> because $9 did not match up with the $30. This is where my brain went, did not match up with the $30. And for a minute there, I was thinking, maybe I should offer to pay for the person behind them and the person behind them. <laughs> I was trying to make it fair. Because when you're doing acts of kindness, good deeds like this, it's not fair. It puts you on unequal playing grounds. Number four, it's fake. It's fake. If you've got a plan for it, if you're intentional, it's, is it real? I mean, do we really need more fake Christians? Number three, it's too easy for Christians to get caught up in a performance-based mindset. This is the big one for me. I have a hard time believing that God loves me regardless of the things that I'm doing. I know that's true, but, but but still within me there's something that thinks the more good things I do, the more God will approve of me. And when you're trying to do good works, you can feed into that lie pretty easily. Number two, it's kind of arrogant. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of you kind of puff yourself up. It's it's there's can be a pride moment there. Matthew talks about not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But when you're doing intentional good deeds, it's like you're, you're introducing your hands to each other. Like, hey, left hand, let's do a good deed. Okay, right hand, how about tomorrow at three? I mean, there's no sense of that kind of spontaneity or the, uh, it just kind of sounds arrogant. Look at me, look at what I'm doing. And the number one reason Why doing good works is a waste of time is it cannot save you. Scripture is clear on this. Both Isaiah and the Apostle Paul speak of of our good deeds as being filthy rags. Romans 9 actually talks about our good deeds as being potential stumbling blocks to faith. And then we've got today's passage of scripture. I'll just read to you here the two verses from Ephesians chapter two. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. Now, we know that we can't just take verses out of context, that there is more to that passage of Scripture. There's more that comes before. There's more that comes after. So, uh, in all fairness, I'll read the whole thing for you again, one more time. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I heard someone just say the two words over there, so that. And it's those two words that make my entire top 10 list moot. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So it seems only fair that if I gave you 10 reasons against, that perhaps we should consider 10 reasons for. The first one being simple. The 10th reason for considering good works in our life is that we're told to some ways it's, it's kind of simple. This is, this is all over the New Testament. Uh, to be ready for good works, to not grow weary in doing good works, to stir one another up in love and good works, to devote yourself to good works. Second Corinthians tells us to abound in every good work. I mean, it's all over the place. And then we've got James. James, who talks about faith without works being dead. What good is it, he says, if you have faith, but you don't have Works. It's almost like these two just go together. <laughs> you don't have one without the other. It's it's almost like if faith is inhaling, our good deeds are the exhale. It's what comes out of the faith. You almost can't keep it contained inside it. It has to come out in some form of expression. And where did we get that first breath from? The one who tells us to do these good works. Number nine, it's fitting. Did you catch that in scripture? That that these things have been prepared for us long ago. So when we do the good works that God has prepared for us, we are becoming more of ourselves. We are more at home in our bodies when we are doing the things that God planned for us to do long ago. I grew up in Holland, Michigan, and in Holland, Michigan, there is a Herman Miller plant. Herman Miller, they do furniture, design, uh, all that, that sort of thing. And I always grew up hearing about these Herman Miller chairs that were just amazing, that were just incredible, that once you use a Herman Miller chair, well, they're also really, really expensive. I mean, really expensive. But a few years ago, when I needed a new desk chair, I I heard about an outlet, a Herman Miller outlet, where the cost was like a tenth of their normal retail costs. They had used chairs, this and that. And so I thought, okay, I'll go see what the fuss is about. I went into the store, and I sat down in my first Herman Miller chair. I mean, it was this moment of this chair has been created for me. (laughs) Some designer long ago figured out exactly who I was, how I and created this chair about me. It was created long ago, just waiting for me to sit in. It's as if these good works were created for us long ago, just waiting for us to walk in. And when we do, something just feels right. We are more at home in our own bodies. Number eight, it will bring you joy. At least it can. Right before my son Sam was born, my sister Holly asked me, she said, Mandy, is there, is there anything that you would just love to have done before you, before you have this baby? And I said, I'd love, I'd love to be able to clean my bathroom floor. Just give it a good cleaning. And the next day I go and I walk into my bathroom and I realize that my bathroom floor is very clean. And there is a note there signed by two Christmas elves. It was in the month of December. So I took the note and I went to my sister's house, knocked on the door and Holly and four-year-old Ella opened the door. And I say, two little elves just came into my house and clean my bathroom floor. And I'm watching Ella and she's going. (laughs) And her mom, I can see her just kind of doing this with her hand. And Holly says, well, isn't that interesting? Wow. I said, yeah, you know, I just, I I wish I could thank them. And Ella can't stand it anymore. And she just blurts out, it was us. (laughs) She had so much joy in her, she could not contain it. It just came out. And cleaning bathroom floors is not fun. It's not joyful. I mean, they didn't even get the benefits of having the clean floor themselves. They did it for me. Yet the joy that they had was evident. Number seven. If you start doing good deeds, you will receive more good deeds or at least you'll start to notice them, perhaps. When John and I found out we were pregnant with Sam, he was our first child, and soon after we found out, we went into a shopping mall. And as we're walking, I'm seeing John doing doing this kind of thing. And finally, he just says, there are children everywhere. There weren't any more than usual. I think it was the same amount of children that you would expect to find at the shopping mall, but, but because we had just heard about this new little one, we were seeing things differently. When you get in the act of doing good deeds, you see the world differently. You receive the world differently you become a more grateful person. Number six, good deeds are a form of evangelism. Now, I am, I'm all about words, okay? I, I think words are important. We evangelize with words. My, my research area is in words. I've spent the last 15 years studying testimony, the words that we say and how that affects us spiritually, but we've had a lot of words recently, and it's not that we need to stop using words, but but what if the world knew we were Christians by our love? Number five, when you do good deeds, a certain kind of intimacy with the Lord comes, especially if you're doing these things in, in secret. Have you ever shared a secret with Jesus? I, I don't mean the bad kind. I mean, we know what that's like to feel the weight of sin. That, <clears throat> But a good secret. You could do something that nobody else in the world knows about except for you and God. And there's something very intimate about sharing that experience, about knowing that no one else in the world knows this. I know of one couple who every month they set money aside. It isn't their tie that's beyond that. And they split it equally between them and they both give it away however they want without telling the other person. They've done this for years. I don't know how much it is. Maybe it's $5, maybe it's $500, but there's this joy that comes with that and the intimacy that comes in the secret with the Lord. Doing good deeds can build intimacy with God. Number four, it outlives you. I don't just mean the the chain reaction Starbucks kind of way, though that might be true, but it's a legacy that you're leaving. It's one of the things that God is pointing to, to the future ages that we saw in this Ephesians passage. Number three, when you start to do good deeds, it's possible that you can actually get into the habit of doing good deeds. Now, I mentioned that passage from Matthew 5, "The right hand and the left hand," and I've, I've always struggled with that verse. I didn't, don't quite know what to do with it. Okay, is that about my motives or intentions or spontaneity? And, and I can get so caught in my motives actually that I then forget to do the deed. but But I wonder if that verse could be alluding to a kind of habitual holiness that we get into. Where we almost don't even notice that we're doing it anymore because it is so much a part of who we are. I brush my teeth every day, twice every day, but I, I don't think anything of it. <laughs> I'm almost not conscious of the fact it's, it's, it's what I do. It wouldn't occur to me to you know have a conversation about it. What if our lives could be like that with good deeds? That we're not trying to figure out motives or, or this or that, but, but it's just such a part of who we are. Our right hand and our left hand almost don't even notice what we're doing. Number two, you model it for others. Uh, if, if, if you have children, you get to define normal for your children. You get to define for them what it means to be a Christian. Growing up, I used to put honey on my grilled cheese sandwiches. I I thought this was a thing, like I, you know, ketchup and fries, grilled cheese and honey. And so, I mean, I thought this until middle school, like this was a long thing for me. And so I I would be confused when I'd go to a friend's house and they would serve me a grilled cheese sandwich and I didn't see the honey. And so I'd ask for it and then they would be confused why I was asking for honey. (laughs) But that's what it meant for me to have a grilled cheese sandwich. That's the way I was raised. That's what my mom did. So I did it, that was normal for me. We get to define normal for our children. Ketchup and fries, bacon and eggs, Christians and good deeds. And the number one reason, you could be serving Jesus Christ himself. A few years ago, I was at Payne's and I ordered tea and the waitress came out and she put the teacup in front of me and she stepped back like this. And I said, thank you. And then she leans forward and she whispers, that is the very cup that Vigo Mortensen used. The guy from the Strider Aragon from Lord of the Rings. And I'm going, oh, great, Thanks. But it was this moment for her. She had served him out of this particular cup and she remembered it. She's, I'm sure, telling that story all of her life the time when she served Vigo Mortison his cup in this particular mug with a little chip in it. It's possible that you could serve Jesus Christ himself. what's a good deed that you could do this week? I, I sometimes get stuck in my own head as I've shared with things like this. Um, I question motives. I, uh, I get caught in games like, okay, wait, is this, is this God nudging me to bring cookies to my neighbor or, or is this just me? Is this just me thinking, ah, I'll do that. And I remember one particular time when I was wrestling through that, oh, I I, I don't know, what is it? And then I realized it doesn't matter because if I bring cookies to my neighbor and it was in fact God nudging me to do it, then great, I've just brought cookies to my neighbor. And if I bring cookies to my neighbor and it was just my own idea, great. I just brought cookies to my neighbor. In a way, I didn't even have to question my motives. I didn't have to go there. I didn't have to do that internal wrestle. (laughs) Even if my motives were bad, I I, I keep thinking of, of the apostle Paul in Philippians where he says, some of you preach Christ out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but what does it matter so long as Christ is preached? Maybe it doesn't, matter quite as much about our motives so long as we're doing the works that God calls us to do, that he planned for us long ago. And I am confident too that even with the wrong motives that eventually these works start to shape us because we are saved by faith and we are shaped by works. Last week we had 855 people in this building. We know there were more listening in at home, but what would it look like this week if there were an extra 855 good deeds done in Grant County? Or what if we took that up a notch? What if, what if each person did a good deed every day of the week? 5,985 acts of love in our community. Can you picture that? (laughs) We are God's masterpiece. These good works have been created for us in advance (laughs) to do.